Good morning. It's good to see you here today. I'm going to welcome Watertown and Aberdeen. They're joining us for this service this morning, so welcome to you guys as you join us. Um, I had a little knee work done here a couple days ago, so I'm going to sit on a chair this morning. So if you're wondering, I'm just going to tell you what's going on. God's good. Uh, Anyway, let's talk about peace. Peace is the deep desire, I think, of the heart of all people. There is something in the human heart that longs for peace. Jesus alone brings us true peace. In fact, in John 14, uh, verse 27, the Lord Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. So this fourth Advent Sunday, we're zooming in on this concept that in Jesus Christ we have peace. And we can have peace, I think, on two different levels. It's important to understand that peace happens, I think, in in, in two distinct ways. First of all, there's a personal peace that we experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with our relationship with him as we uh, focus on his strength and allow him to uh, fill us with his Holy Spirit. We exchange our anxiety for peace. In fact, this was predicted. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says this, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So I'd encourage you this morning to personalize that promise of Isaiah and state it this way. God will keep me in perfect peace as I focus my mind on him and trust in him. And there are a lot of opportunities, I think, for us to really experience this personal peace Oftentimes, we're full of anxiety, and we're full of nervousness and fears and things, and those are like red flags telling us, hey, it's time to grab a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and realize the peace and enter into the peace that he has for us. I don't know about you. I hate going to hospitals. It's not a peaceful experience. And I know that the people are friendly and kind, and they have the best interests out for me, but there's still this nervousness. And so this week I thought, it's ironic, I'm talking on peace, and I'm going to the hospital, and I'm not feeling very peaceful at all. You you relate to me? And uh, one of the things I find helpful is to admit it, to admit I'm struggling a little bit, I don't have peace right now, I'm I've got anxiety, and to tell people and, and have people pray for you. And I think there's a there's a personal peace that Christ wants us to experience, even in the busyness of children, even in the demands of busy careers, even in the midst of some troubles and things that you feel out of control and dealing with, I think those are opportunities to begin to cry out, God, I need your peace. And even though I don't feel your peace right now, I'm going to pray for your peace. And he'll be faithful to that prayer. And God offers peace on another level. It's peace with other people, peace with people. I love what the Lord Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, and one in particular applies to us this morning. It's it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We, as God's people, are in this unique position of being reconcilers, of being endued with power from on high so that we can become peacemakers to other people. We are called as the people of God to take the initiative, to be the ones that step out first in reconciliation. So my question to you this Christmas season is this. Is there an invitation that you need to extend to somebody maybe to smooth over 
a fractured family relationship or a fractured friendship or whatever, is God calling you to be the one to initiate peace there? Perhaps there's an apology that needs to be made or silence needs to be broken that has stood as a barrier in your life with another person for a long time. You, as a disciple of Christ, are called to be the one to take the first step, to be the reconciler, to be the peacemaker. See, peace takes place on two levels. You have an inner peace and peace with others. And as we begin to understand that, then this Advent celebration that we're observing this morning takes on, I think, a little richer and deeper uh, understanding. I would like us to read out loud together a prayer of St. Francis today. It's a great prayer on peace. It's going to appear behind me. Would you just read this out loud with me as we uh, continue on this morning? Here we go. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not seek counsel as to counsel, <laughs> to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thanks for saying that, even though I butchered it. God's good. As I consider the peace that Jesus offered, and I begin to be reflective of what we've gone through this Advent season when we looked at hope and love and joy and peace, I begin to uh, really realize something that I think is really important to get. Really what's going on and what's happening is that that very first Christmas when Christ was made incarnate and shows up into, into humanity, really begin a movement of God. Really begin something that utterly and totally changed the landscape of humanity. And part of the outcome of his arrival and his ministry were things like hope and joy and love and peace. And really what we're privy to be part of today as the people of God is this divine supernatural movement of Jesus Christ. Amen? And peace is one of those products of this movement. And what I, I really think about Jesus at I think it's intriguing. We see this right at the beginning of his ministry, and I think we still experience it today, is that he just is attractive to people if you are of the right heart and if you're receptive. I know that some of us have these magnets that we put on fridges. Now with the stainless steel fridges anymore, sometimes they don't stick so well. That just shows you how stainless steel your fridge really is. Because some stainless steels are still attractive to magnets. That just means your stainless steel isn't as high quality as somebody else's stainless steel. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> Amen? Because you can still put your magnet on your fridge. But we made some of these magnets over the course of our time here at Grace Point to help you remember things. I remember when we switched to new service times, 8.45, 10, and 11.15, we made a magnet for you to put on your fridge to remind you. And that magnet has the ability to stick to a metallic surface. It, there has to be this compatibility, right, in order for it to stick. And I think when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's this movement afoot. There's this movement that began when he was birthed. And 
those who are receptive to what God is about will have this pull towards God. Now, if you have a hard heart or you're rejecting the things of God, it's like plastic and a magnet. A magnet and plastic, they just don't stick. And I, I just want to talk to you for a few moments here today. I want to make the subject bigger than peace today. I want to make the subject that we're part of a movement and the outcome is peace. And so let me talk to you for a few moments about this idea that there's evidence of attraction in the Christmas story. There's evidence of the supernatural, divine pulling at the heart in the Christmas story. It begins with the heavenly hosts. They were attracted to Jesus. I think they were just anticipating what God was going to do. And so Jesus shows up, and the heavenly host got the awesome privilege of making that announcement of Christ's birth to the shepherds in the field. And pretty soon, there's a whole company of them, you know, praising God and going kind of crazy. And you can kind of see something's afoot here. Amen? This is not a normal birth. And heavenly hosts were attracted to what God was up to in Jesus Christ. And the shepherds got to witness this. And I'd say it this way. A movement was born that day that would totally and utterly change the landscape of humanity. And even in the very beginning of this movement, we see that Jesus Christ would attract people. They had to be of the right heart. They had to be of the right material. Some materials would not be attracted to him. Some would be repelled by him. But the ones of the right heart and the right material, they would be pulled toward Jesus Christ. One such case is the shepherds. Hearing the story of Jesus' birth, the shepherds hurried to find him. It was like a magnetic pull, and they became part of that initial movement of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel announced that they would see this baby born and wrapped in cloths, and, and so they thought, we're going to go see this for ourselves. And they went off, and they hurried, and they saw for themselves, and were told there that they were full of joy, and they told everybody the story. They, they couldn't contain themselves because they had met Jesus Christ. And a movement's afoot now. It's starting to happen. And I love some of the interactions that occurred in the Lord Jesus' life. Joseph and Mary took Jesus to be consecrated to the Lord. And the man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, moved by the Holy Spirit, we're told, experienced this tr attraction to Jesus. And he took Jesus in his arms. I don't know if you've ever had a little baby. I don't know what I would have thought of that. Some old man coming up and taking my baby. I thought I would have been a little bit, that's a little strange. But you could see the Holy Spirit at work here. And Simeon takes this little baby in his arms and he makes this powerful prophetic declaration over him. I've been waiting for you my whole life. And you can just see that this thing that's happening is a movement. And this movement's attractive to the right kind of a heart. And then Anna, the prophetess, comes forward. And she came to Joseph and Mary and Jesus. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child Jesus to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And now the movement truly is gaining traction. It's a supernatural movement. It's a movement of God reconciling lost people back to himself. And for three weeks, we've been using John chapter 1 as kind of our outline text 
to look at Advent and this movement of God that's being birthed, and this morning is no exception. As chapter 1 wraps up, we see that movement of Christ is expanding. It's getting big. It's changing the landscape of humanity. It started out in John 1 talking about the birth of Jesus and how he's divine and God. And by the end of chapter 1, we're to Jesus, a grown-up man, 30 years later, now calling his disciples. And we see the divinity and the movement just kind of going on steroids. It's going crazy now. It's really starting to, to become something of an irresistible movement and presence. So now what I want to do this morning is read to you the end of John chapter 1. And what we're going to read here is the story of this supernatural birth of Christ now manifesting itself in the supernatural ministry of Christ. And he's starting to call people unto himself. He's beginning to illustrate to us what this movement in him is going to look like. It's going to change the lives of people drastically. There's going to be divine, miraculous interaction that takes place as part of this movement. Listen now to John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. In other words, they left John, and they now follow Jesus. Did you get that? They left their teacher, the one that they were, you know, loyal to, and they said, oh, oh, a new dude. I'm going to follow him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I always think that's a little bizarre, but... Jesus said, come, he replied, and you will see. Remember those words, come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told them, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Listen, here it is again. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's evident that a movement's afoot here. So, the question I think we need to deal with today is this. How do we embrace and how do we join this movement? How do we have that kind of a mindset? So I want to talk with you for just a few moments on how to be part of the movement of God. Using a couple points here from the scripture I just read to you. 
First of all, come and see. Come and see. Philip did what so many, I think, do. When he found Jesus, he thought of someone who was ready to meet Jesus. Nathaniel. Nathaniel was skeptical at first. He was challenged, though, with this simple invitation. Come and see. We found the Messiah. Come and see. Listen, we who love Jesus this morning, that's the same invitation we need to extend to those who don't know him yet. Come and see. Come and see. We make it too complicated. We think we have to argue people into heaven. We think we have to have every question answered. We think I may not be qualified. I may not know what to say if they ask me something I don't know about. And we rationalize ourselves right out of a moment that maybe it's just as simple as come and see. And rely upon the person of the Holy Spirit to touch that heart. Because if it's relying upon us and us doing, well, I don't know about you, I kind of mess up a lot. How about you? And I think this kind of takes the pressure off us as the people of God. We are not the attraction. Jesus Christ is the attraction. Now, granted, if Jesus is living in you, that should be attractive to other people. But get this. We need to invite people to come and see who Jesus is. Just simply do that. And allow that pull of Christ, amen, to work in their lives. Because that's how a movement works. It's not about us. It's about what Christ is doing and being so caught up with that that we just simply say to others, come and see, come and see. I've been rediscovering in my life the truth of that simple invitation in all aspects. When we're anxious, we need to come and see that Jesus is our peace. I did a lot of that this week, praying, be my peace. Be my peace. I don't like hospital stuff. I don't like going to places where I'm out of control. How about you? And there's often an opportunity to come and see. And Vicki at one point just grabbed my hand. I know what she's doing. She's saying, you know, I love you, hon. I'm here with you. Come and see. Come and see. When we feel unloved, we need to come and see that Jesus loves us perfectly. Come and see is his invitation to you. Come and see that he loves you and he knows your name, that you're written on the palm of his hand. Come and see. When you feel lonely and you feel isolated like you, nobody cares about you, come and see that you're part of the family of God, that you know him by God. Come and see. Come and see. When you're fighting an illness and you're fighting the you know, inevitable aging process and things don't work real well and you realize, I got a frail body here. Come and see. Jesus is life. Life evermore. Come and see. I I just think we need to come and see that Jesus is sufficient. Amen? That invitation that was extended in this first story of the Christmas account has so many applications to us. Come and see. Come and see. So, What do you need to come and see this Christmas? What do you need to come and see in Jesus? I gave you a couple blanks to write down there. What is God stirring in your heart? What is he saying to you? Check this out. Come and see. Be reliant upon me in this area of your life. Trust me. Come and see. That's when we experience the pull of Christ. That's when we experience the power of God, when we have this open heart that comes and sees we encounter Christ. But you have to have the right heart. You have to have an open heart. You have to be of the right material that's attracted to Jesus. I love how Jesus is the one who renames. 
Simon, you're Cephas. Peter, you're the rock. That's what Peter means, rock. He wasn't much of a rock to begin with, was he? He denied the Lord. He failed him multiple times. But that rock thing came through loud and clear when at Pentecost he stood up and he gave this wonderful message and 3,000 were saved that day. We see the rock. Amen? I'm not talking about the rock that wrestles either. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. We see Peter the rock. And then we see Nathaniel. Nathaniel come. Skeptical. You know Nathaniel means gift of God? Jesus treated them like the gift of God. He said, there's an Israelite if there ever was one. Hey, I have big plans for you. Vicky and I, our third son was named, is named, not was, he's still alive. <laughs> named Nathaniel. And we went through a little bit of an infertility struggle. Believe it or not, we have six kids. I don't know how. It still all worked out fine, evidently. But um, we had Liz and, and, and Bree. And then no one for five years, and no, no other baby for five years. And um, we decided that maybe we should try using some medicine again or something to help us um, in that process. And I remember her deciding, no, we're, gonna, and we're not going to do that. And she flushed it down the toilet. I said, okay, what God gives us, God will give us. Immediately, Nathaniel was conceived and we named him Nathaniel because of that gift of God. And every time I say his name, I remember the miraculous intervention that God had in our lives. This kid's a gift of God. This kid's a gift of God. And of course, then after that, God kept gifting us. <laughs> then I begin to wonder if, you know, the gifts were enough. Anyway, you follow what I'm saying. This come and see, this come and see can't be cynical. Well, Jesus, you'll just have to show me or I won't believe. That's not what I'm saying by this come and see. There has to be an openness and a receptivity to, to the moving of God in your life. We lived for many years in southern Iowa by the state of Missouri. Do you know the nickname for the state of Missouri? What is it? Show me state. Yeah. You know how that came about? There's some ideas, but here's one idea. It got its name in an 1899 by a guy named um, Willard D. Vandiver. He was a representative. And he said this, Frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I'm from Missouri. You've got to show me. And they kind of stuck. And it became the show me state. And there was this attitude, I won't believe it unless I see it. That's not the attitude we can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to be part of the movement of God, if we want to truly experience the power of God unleashed in our life, we have to have this attitude of openness, a receptivity of the right material, of the right heart, and we have to come and see, expecting that God will do mighty things in our life, not saying, show me or I won't believe. That's not what this is about. Amen? It's come and see. Come and see. Second, second point here that I think is critical to a movement of God is this. Get excited. Just get excited. Excited people about Jesus attract other people to Jesus. The first thing excited Andrew did was go find his brother Simon and say, I found the Messiah. Come, come. And the first thing that excited Philip did was say, think of Nathaniel. Nathaniel, you've got to meet this guy. You've got to come because they were excited. Excited people attract other people. I want to take a short but super relevant tangent with you this morning because I could tell you, get excited. And you go, whatever. 
Do you know that we're part of something really exciting as, as, as a Wesleyan denomination? Now, I know we never talk about our history much here, but we're a Wesleyan church. You, you, you know that, right? And we have a really interesting past, a really cool past. And recently this book came out, Marks of a Movement. Pastor Aaron and I were talking. And I've been taking a, a course, a study about church multiplication. He said, you should read this book so you have some historical background and some other things. I was really bothered by some of the language I was hearing, and Aaron was very helpful. It was a, it's a good book. It's a good book, Marks of a Movement. Anyway, this guy named Bevins, who wrote this book, really looked at the Wesleyan movement and kind of analyzed what happened there, what did God do, and what can we learn from this movement. It's been a really good book to read. And as I was talking, or thinking about this, I should say, uh, about getting excited, uh, I think part of the reason that maybe we don't have more excitement sometimes as Christian followers is we don't have a sense of history. We don't have a sense of what God has done. And we don't have a sense of where we fall into this movement thing uh, of what's happening in, in, in our God. And in this Marks of Movement book, he identifies six marks of a movement. Um, and they're there initially when, you, when Christ shows up. They were there in the Wesleyan movement that he writes about. And guess what? They're here in our church right now. They're happening still today. And perhaps this will help us get a little excited. Amen? So let me talk to you about those for just a couple minutes. First thing you see is changed lives. A mark of a movement of God has changed lives. Were lives changed when Jesus came to this planet? Oh my goodness. That's what we read about today. You think Peter was ever the same? You think Nathaniel or Philip or Andrew, do you think any of them were ever the same? How about Simeon or Anna? How about Mary or Joseph? None of those people were ever even close to being the same. When the Wesleyan movement broke out and John Wesley came on the scene and he brought the gospel out of the Anglican church and brought it into the fields, into the coal mines, those people's lives were never the same. The thing that was illustrative of that initial movement in John Wesley's time was it just burst forth into this great big movement. Lives were changed. Now, here's what we want to talk about us today a little bit. Since the beginning of our church here, we've had 100 people plus receive Jesus Christ. We follow up with them. We talk with them. And I get to personally talk with lots of them. And it's exciting to hear their stories, to hear about these ones whose lives are so drastically changed. I thought, we're part of the movement still. God's still working. And in addition to that, I begin to think about our staff. I begin to think about all the people on our staff who basically were born again and were part of this church and now are on staff. Ben Geetson being one of them, right? College Ministries at Oasis. He's born again. He's now pastoring Oasis. I think that's kind of cool. I came here in 1990, a little burned out on church. In fact, I remember telling Vicki, I'll just go and kind of stay in the back row. God had a different idea. And he called me into ministry, and I thought, oh, whatever. I don't know. I, and we eventually go into it, and I end up in Williston, North Dakota. Now, that's a move of God. And to bring me back is another move of God. But I begin to look. Serenity Miller comes to Christ. Six, seven years later, where is she? She's on staff here at the church. 
Do you understand? These things are not normal. Amen? It's the move of God afoot here. We're still part of the move of God. I just want you to understand it and be a little excited about it. How's he doing in your life? What's happening in you? There are so many stories that are so cool. Second, there's a contagious faith. It's ordinary people sharing about Jesus with their friends. This happens all over the place in the Bible. This happened in the initial Wesley movement. And guess what? It happens here. In fact, it's downright scary here because I'm afraid wherever I go, there's somebody who's associated with Grace Point, so I always have to behave right. <laughs> Amen? So the other day, I don't know if the Snyders are in the service. Are Vicky and Brent Snyder here today? Nope, I shouldn't have said that. I just set them up for failure. Anyway, they dropped off oranges at our house the other day, right? And I'm, I had knees, knees, this neat thing, and I'm laying there in the living room with my, an ice pack thing going on. I cannot answer the door. So I, I, I go, Lydia! Because she's across the house. Get the door! And I, then I thought, oh no, what if that's a church person? <laughs> and of course it was. Oh, well, I think they still love us. Um, but anyway, contagious faith, it's all over the place. We see it all over the place. And then third thing, third mark, third mark of a movement of God, and this is incredibly important, it's the Holy Spirit is at work. And we see that right away in the ministry of Jesus Christ, all over the place. There's the Holy Spirit at work, anointing him, and he's that attractional pole, bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the only Holy Spirit came in the earlier followers uh, uh, of Christ in the, day, in, the, in the Feast of Pentecost, and tongues of fire lit upon their heads, and they spoke in languages that they previously didn't know. And in the Wesleyan uh, revival, the Wesleyan awakening, the movement, you see the Holy Spirit tremendously at work there. Guess what we've been focusing on for a long time here? Holy Spirit. That's what our Romans series was about in Romans 6, 7, and 8. The Holy Spirit will change us and transform us so we become something we formerly were not. Then there's discipleship systems. And we see Jesus, he has his three, he has his 12, he has his 120, right? He, he's discipling and all that. Wesley was a master at this. Wesley knew that you, preaching was not adequate. You had to have communities and groups. And he had all these lay leaders that he raised up. And we believe that too with all of our heart. We, we believe that groups are so important. We, we published 850 books this last semester uh, that went along with our Battle Within series from Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And two weeks after we started that series, all 850 basically were gone. And we had to run copies off after that, from what I was told. We have all kinds of things like that happening today that are indicative of a movement of God being afoot still. And then there's apostolic leadership. Now, apostolic leadership means that the church is about mobilizing its people for mission. We're all on a mission. That manifests itself locally and regionally and globally. But we're all on a mission. And our church is concerned with this area. Of course we are. But we're concerned with the region we're in, the Dakotas, North and South Dakota and Minnesota and these other areas. And that's why we've been partnering with places like Aberdeen and Watertown, and we have some other things in the works, too, that we're going to partner with. And we really support global works because this is the church of Jesus Christ, and we're part of an apostolic movement. Amen? And lastly, there's this understanding of organic multiplication. The Spirit leads sometimes, and He just anoints 
And some of the best discipleship that takes place is not orchestrated. So I start working at 3M as a young dude, 23, freshly married with a little girl named Elizabeth at 3M. And God, in his infinite wisdom, puts me in a group with a, a guy named Ron Loveland, who was my boss, a very hardcore Christian, who I thought at the time was really old. He was 45. <laughs> I thought, man, he's old and he's wise. And Ron just poured his life into me. He talked to me almost daily about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And we had such good talks, and he would go out to lunch with me probably once a week and talk to me about the things of the Lord. I, I have never been that purposely discipled in my whole life. And I want to just say something to you. I see a lot of this happening around here, but, but let me ask you, who has God put in your life where all you have to do is encourage them in their walk in Jesus? God puts these people in our lives. So much of the growth of a movement of God is organic. And I just want to encourage you, step into that this morning. And here's our application to this part of the, of the message. Pray that God graces you to be excited about Jesus, okay? If you're not excited about him, if not, and nothing what I shared with you yet makes you excited, pray for that, amen? Just pray that his Holy Spirit would make you excited. And if you have a problem with that, you have a problem. Because if we're not excited about Jesus, who's going to be excited about him? So pray that he would grace you to be excited. Here's our conclusion today. The movement of Christ is unstoppable because it's supernatural. Jesus' conception was supernatural. His announcement by the angels was supernatural. Simeon and Anna were moved supernaturally. The calling of the disciples was supernatural. Jesus' miraculous uh, you know, interaction with people was supernatural. Jesus' teaching was supernatural. His prophecies were supernatural. His baptism was supernatural. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The transfiguration was supernatural. His death was supernatural. He said, this is finished. God, I've done the mission you sent me to do. I've reconciled, lost uh, mankind back to you. His resurrection was supernatural. The birth of the church was supernatural. As the Holy Spirit came upon those early followers in flames of fire, uh, giving them utterances in unknown tongues. The church grew supernaturally. Peter preaches a message. A few thousand are saved. Are you seeing a pattern? This moment's supernatural. So as a follower of God, see yourself as part of an unstoppable movement. Begin to look at it that way. I am part of something unstoppable. I am part of a supernatural movement of God. And this brings us to this reflection thought here today. How does a movement perspective help you to experience peace then? If we're part of something that's unstoppable, that's a movement, how then should that bring you peace? Should not that overarching understanding of who God is and what he's up to, should that not put into perspective a lot of things that bring anxiety to us? and bring fear into our lives? Should it not address those things? And in place of those things, should we not be experiencing a peace from God? Who by worry can add a single hour to their life? We are part of a movement of God that's unstoppable, and that should result in peace. At this time, I'm going to dismiss Watertown and Aberdeen back to their campuses.
And we're going to pray. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you that when we celebrate this fourth advent of peace, really all the advent celebration that we've experienced over the last four weeks of hope and love and joy and peace are really the outcome of the movement of Jesus Christ on this planet. We thank you, God, that in your infinite wisdom, you sent your Son to become you in flesh, to represent you perfectly to us, to be the incarnate God among his people. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you did this. I don't think we understand really what that implies and how limiting that must have felt to you. But we're eternally grateful for that, Jesus. And we acknowledge and we accept and we proclaim that we're part of a movement, something grand, something unstoppable, something that's changing the outcome and and this planet. And Jesus, we're thankful that we're part of that. We're part of that movement. And this day, Lord, I pray that we would just have an attitude in our own hearts of come and see, whether it be with our relationship with others or our own relationship with you, Lord, that we would just come and see that you're always adequate. And we would be relying upon the Holy Spirit to do the deep work in our hearts and the same kind of work in the hearts of others. And Lord, I just pray that we would be an excited people, not just silly excited, but excited because we know that we're part of something much greater than us, something supernatural, something unstoppable. Thank you, Jesus. May this Christmas be a time of true connection with you, true acknowledgement of who you are, true understanding of what's going on, and may we just celebrate it with a reckless abandonment, Lord, to you. We love you, Jesus, and all God's people said,